Welcome to Conversations About Life. My name is Will Jackson, and I'm here at the Rio Grande Bible Institute in Edinburgh, Texas, with John LaFera. And um, I just met John today, and he's a, a part of the staff here um, on campus. And the Rio Grande Bible Institute, they prepare uh, men and women for um, Christian service in Spanish-speaking countries um, all over the world. And it's it's quite a multicultural place. I think there's, I, I heard, like maybe 18 different um, nationalities are, you know, represented here among the students. But anyway, I'm glad to be here with John. Uh, thanks, John, for taking a break from um, your work to have a conversation with me. Hey, it's really nice to be here. It's beginning to get hot outside. Yeah. Yeah. It's nicer for me a little bit today than it was um, a couple of days ago when it was pretty cold. Though. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, John, I guess just um, help me out with a kind of an introduction of yourself. Would you uh, just kind of describe what your position here is on the campus? Okay. I'm here on staff year-round. I'm on the maintenance department, and I do jack-of-all-trades and master of none. My wife and I have been in ministry for about 45 years, and we've been all over the world. We've been in Arizona with a Navajo, and then in Mexico with uh, Food for the Hungry, and then with New Chab's Mission in Brazil, and now we're here. Okay. And um, and you help out, it seems like, in like the physical um, maintenance type of things. Just now I interrupted you while you were painting stripes on the street. <laughs> yeah, I just do all kinds of maintenance things here on campus. And uh, the reason why we're here is to prepare young people for the Spanish-speaking world to be pastors and missionaries and Christian ed education leaders and whatever God calls them to. Okay. Uh, how long have you been here? We've been here 23 years now. 23 years. Wow. I bet things have changed quite a bit over 23 years. Huh? Yes, they have. And over the last 23 years, I've mentored a lot of men and and been grandma and grandpa to uh, girls and guys, my wife and I, and our house is sometimes full of students, and the girls get uh, hungry for their home-cooked food, so they come down and uh, they get the, what they need to make food with, and Janet go, goes gets it, and then they come down and cook it, and we have a big old fiesta. <laughs> Sounds good. We have a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I was just mentioning to you before we started recording just how um, peaceful the campus is. Um, outside of the campus, there's lots of... Um, urban structures, highways, and stores and everything. But the campus is a really nice place where everyone's so f friendly and a lot of smiles and that type of thing. Um, I guess just to start off, uh, John, can you um, tell us the story of um, how you became a Christian? I was raised in Indiana on a farm and with my, my parents and, and, th and five of us kids all together. We was in a very close-knit family and lived in a farming community, and we went to church on Sunday, and we got up at 5 a.m. and, and uh, did our chores and did our schoolwork and then come home and 
do our chores and work on the farm. And then, of course, the weekends we would work on Saturday and go to church Sunday and then do it all over again. And uh, I can remember as, as a young boy, I was in uh, Sunday school class, and our teacher was teaching us on David and Goliath, on how godly man David was and and how God used him. And I can remember my curiosity, and I was I was all over the room. Teachers didn't think I was listening, but I was. And on that Sunday, I can I can take you, take you to the very country road in the very spot. On the way home, I said, "Mama, what did I have to do to become a Christian?" So Daddy pulled over the car and on the country road, and they began to explain to me what it means to be a Christian, to accept Christ through faith. And I did that, not understanding as a nine-year-old kid, and, and began to grow in the Lord and, and uh, just enjoy the family life and, and the farm and to grew up over the years and, and how God has been treating me for many, many years. I, When I was young, I had dyslexia and I stuttered very, very bad. So I couldn't say two words in a row without stuttering, and kids always made fun of me. But I had a I had a real hunger for Christ, and as a young as a young boy, and I didn't read the Bible very much because I didn't didn't know how to read. And so God just through my mom and dad, and through time, God began to bring me out of dyslexia and out of stuttering and. And I'm the man I am today because what Christ has done and what my my parents did in my life. We had an old country preacher named Reverend Looker. And he came to my mom and dad one day and says, uh, God has something very special for this boy to do. Don't sell him short. So uh, my parents just loved me and helped me. He was very patient. And it was very difficult. I went through school and high school. And when I graduated from twelfth grade, I had a about a third grade re- reading level. So I, n- I never read any books or did anything. I had on the farm. I had my hogs and cows and chickens and horses, and that was my life. And uh, how God just. Uh, Put me in a place of security and with animals. I could always talk to my hogs and when I was having problems and they would grunt and that was my way of communicating my frustrations and in my young life. And as I began to grow in Christ and, and, uh, my high school years and out of high school and I was the last single person in a church of my age, all my friends were all gone. And so I decided, what what does God want me to do? So a Gideon friend of my, of my dad's invited me to go to a Greenwood Community Church up in Greenwood, Indiana, which I started to go to. And it's, it's our home, home church and sending church now. They've been supporting us for 45 years. Wow. And it's a really faithful, faithful church. I remember our, my pastor, and I didn't have any college education, and 
had a zeal for the Lord, and he was he took me under his wings and and taught me to and discipled me. And over the years, and I got to go on a mission trip to Haiti for two weeks, and I was running a uh, DCAT nine caterpillar up in the mountains and and uh, cutting a road up in the mountains for a Baptist church down in uh, Cape Haitian area. And so that was my first introduction to missions. Then once a year they would have a mission conference. And I was enthralled by the the missionaries would come and I would take them out for dinner. By then I was in college and uh, college age. I wasn't in college, but uh, um, I began to get very interested in missions. And after I went to Haiti, I, I came home from that trip, and I told Pastor Charles that God laid on my heart to to be in the missions. And so very wisely he said, I want you to wait two more years and grow. So I did. I was involved in outreach in the Greenwood area, and I was never home. I was always doing something in discipleship or witnessing or going to college campuses and sharing Christ with people. But... Uh, uh, it was, it was a neat life, and just uh, how God taught my heart through those years and preparing for me for what I'm doing now. We uh, went to Brazil, South America. It was my wife's dream. Since she was three years old, she told her parents she was going to be be a missionary on the Amazon River. Well, we was in Manaus, Amazonas, in Bra- in Brazil. Our front yard was the Amazon River. <laughs> and so three, four years we was there. And then uh, she became very ill with a fungus and was got very, very sick. And then our permanent visas were denied. And so we had to leave the country with a heartbreaks. And, but uh, we came back to the States and went back to Greenwood Community, our home church, and they just took us in and had a house for us and furniture and just helped us to heal. And uh, I started my own little business there called J&J Service and kept extremely busy just doing odd jobs and how God supplied finances for us. And I remember one day I came home to, to Janice and said, God's getting us ready for a new work somewhere. Didn't know where. And, uh, Janet has what they call sad syndrome, where she gets depressed when it's cloudy and cold and rainy, and and in the winter and at fall of '82, I think '83, went to the doctor, and the doctor says it's going to get worse and worse. You need to get someplace warm and sunny in the winter. So we began to ask the Lord where we, where we could go, and uh, God began to op- open up doors. And we found out about uh, Rarebandy Bible Institute. They called us one day, and they had a phone interview, and uh, got off the phone and got the map out and looked for Edinburgh, Texas. Where is Edinburgh, Texas? So we looked all over and finally found it. And I said, Janet, this is exactly where God wants us to go. And so I asked the Lord to send send me two people that's been here for a testimony. Well, he didn't do that. He sent me three people. And so we knew this is exactly where God wanted us to be at. So we went through the process, and we was accepted. And they said, well, when can you come? I said, well, we have to re- raise our support again. 
So we got on the phone and uh, called all of our supporters who have been with us for all those years, and every one of them said yes. So in 10 days, we had our support raised. Hmm. And I uh, called them up and says, we are ready to come. We have our support raised, and uh, we'll be on the road. And, and uh, came down here to South Texas in, in January. We left Indiana. It was like 25 below zero. And got here, and it was 70 degrees. And that first uh, first winter, I could just cook down here because of the weather change. And, but just uh, how God has used us. And my life verse is John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, I abideth in him. The last part of verse 5 says, For without me, you can do nothing. And that's been my life verse since I was old enough to read and to study God's Word. And all these years I've been learning what it means to abide in Christ and uh, just to live a godly example and to be the man and that God wants us to be, a, be an example to these students. And it's a humbling experience when uh, graduation night comes and the students come up to you and say, you've been such a godly influence in our lives. And we thank you for your hard, hard work. That puts fear in my life because I, you know, to keep straight and clean before the Lord, a vessel that God can use. And it's just been, a, oh, I can tell you story after story after story how God has just worked on our lives and taken an old farm boy that was willing to be used of the Lord with no education. And uh, it was interesting. We first started contacting uh, mission organizations, every one of them denied us because they didn't have any education. And my pastor says, we don't care about education. We care about what's in the heart. And we see in your heart that you have a, a zeal for Christ. And we want to support that. So they sent us out. So we went to our first assignment was in Arizona with the Navajo Indians. And uh, I went there as a single man. And uh, that's where I met my wife on the mission field and was out there working with a Navajo and uh, how God uh, brought us together and we started the Bible study and, and uh, we just celebrated our, our 35th anniversary. Congratulations. And uh, she's, a, she's Janet's a joy to my life. She, I'm in love with her more than the day I met her. We're the best friends. We do everything together. And uh, she's just been a real asset to my life, vice versa. Uh, we have two daughters. Uh, Jenny, is her husband is in San Antonio, have four grandkids. It's fun being grandpa. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get up there every chance we can get to San Antonio. He is in the Navy, and he speaks Arabic. So, so they've, been, they've been all over the world. And uh, Janet's got to go to every place our grandchild's been born at, one in Bahrain, one in England, one in Washington, D.C., and then the last one in Texas. So <laughs> God's been real faithful. And our younger daughter, Jill, or her husband, and uh, he, uh, he's been, he's been an a officer in the prison system, and, and uh, she's at home, and she was a police officer and, and was— uh, in a takedown, a drug deal, and it went bad, and she was hurt terribly. And 
She's had five back surgeries, and now she's on disability. But how God has just really worked in our lives over the years. You know, as missionaries, we have to raise our own support. And I remember years ago, I asked the Lord, Lord, what are we going to do when our supporters begin to pass away? And uh, so little by little, one by one, is going home to be with the Lord, and that support stops. And uh, we probably have, have lost over half of our support and churches that have called us. We had like 10 churches supporting us for years, and eight of them have dropped us because of financial struggles that they have. But uh, a year ago, we was in an accident with a semi, and it was pretty bad. Uh, if, if we didn't have our seatbelts on, we, neither one of us would be here today. But uh, how God has used that, and we had a Christian attorney, and we just over, just a few days ago, they finally settled. And uh, God has abundantly supplied for the next 20 some odd years. And how, how God has answered the prayers that I would never even dreamed about how the Lord would use that. So God has his ways. You know, I, I remember when we started our, our, our work in missions and we had hardly anything. One month we had $16 come in. And that was it for the whole month. And we did our dollar sixty tithes to the Lord. And how God supplied every, that throughout that whole month. It's been a, that was a learning experience, learning experience in my life that has lasted all these years. We said nothing to anybody. We would go someplace and come home and it'd be a, a sack of groceries in our front door and have no idea who who would give them. And we had, there was a dairy farmer down the road. And of course, I was raised on dairy milk. And so how God supplies and just the blessings of, 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 of Christ. Now he has provided all these years and he still provides and I, he never, he always, I, I, I get up around five o'clock every morning and do my studies and, and my time with the Lord to prepare my heart for a day of battle. It's a battle every day. The old devil's just out there trying to trick you up in any way. So, but I, uh, I love to study, and uh, I've been a pastor of a church down here for a while. And, and so we just did a little bit of everything. I'm a chaplain at one of the hospitals. been doing that for 10 years. We go every Monday night and Wednesday night and uh, meeting people in the behavioral center. And uh, just multiple problems of drug addiction, suicide attempts, uh, incest, you just name it. There's all kinds of uh, horrible lifestyles these kids and grown-ups are in. And we've seen many of them come to Christ. My notebooks is just full of names and numbers that I, I call on follow-up calls and see how, see how they're doing and how God just used that ministry over the years and Going into going into uh, the behavior center, not knowing who we're going to meet. We're going tonight. I have no idea who we'll meet. Be meeting tonight, but we get a list of people. 
and we just we pray throughout the day to prepare our hearts and for the patients and uh, just horrific stories you you hear and experience and and then we give them the good news of Christ and most of them are at rock bottom and uh, it's been really exciting to see what God's been doing in lives in the hospital at the behavior center. God is so good. Um, you know, you you had mentioned um, your your favorite verse and abiding there from I think it was John fifteen. Yes. So, can you describe like when you think of like how to abide in in Christ? How to describe what that means to you or what that looks like? Abiding in Christ has gives you the the sense of God's in control and your my spirits are very quiet. My understandings of the scriptures go deeper. The secret things of Christ, He begins to teach me. And having that deep discernment of Christ in the Word and studying and then applying it in my life. And understanding what it means to really have the mind of Jesus. And then seeing people the way Jesus sees them. I'll give an example. Last Monday night, there was a, in the teenage section, there was a girl. I was sitting down and she said, he says, I have a question, chaplain. I says, okay, what is it? Does God love gays and lesbians? And I said, yes, he does. He loves them very, very much. And I got down on one knee, down to her eye level. And I says, you know what? I want to tell you something else. I love you through through the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the love that the world understands, but what Christ can do in a life when you surrender yourself to being the man or woman that God wants you to be. He'll put you in the places and he'll teach you how to reach those people that are unlovable and unreachable in the world's eyes. And I saw this girl's face change. She says, you know what, I have aunts aunt and uncles and other people says, I'm going to go to hell. And I said, well, Christ loves you and so do I. I gave her a, a a Christian tract that we have here. What is your purpose in life? And I saw that young girl take that tract and begin to read it. And she said this to me. You're the first one has understood me. Everybody has always judged me because of my lifestyle. And then I said, this, said to her, that I said, I respect you for what you believe. And God loves you just the way you are. And she just began to cry. Of course, I did too. God has given me a tender heart. And there's scripture going on my mind as I'm talking to these young people, people that pop up. That's why it's so important to be in God's Word and hide God's Word in your heart to study. I tell people one of the hardest, one of the words that people don't like to hear the most is the word discipline. 
to discipline themselves to get in God's Word and to study, prepare themselves for a day of battle. It's a battle out there. People in that behavior center want answers. I often say, ask this question. I said, you ever ask yourself this question? This question is, why do I do the things over and over and over again? And you know what? About 10 out of out of nine people will say, yes, I've asked that question to myself. Why do I keep doing the things I do? And I says, well, I have the answer. I know what it is. I says, because I have the same problem. I says, you want you know what the answer is? He said, what? I said, let's go to Romans chapter 7, where Paul says, I see the things I should not be doing. I should not be involved in, but I do it. And then it says in that same chapter, it says, I see the things I should be doing, but I don't do. Then he says, oh, wretched man I am. But then I tell him, says, that's not where it stops. Paul says, but thanks be to Christ who has set me free. And I've seen time and time again, using this illustration, and hearts begin to open up. And there begins to have hope, hope in, in life in Christ especially for the ones that try to commit suicide and uh, how they have hope in one meeting. And then usually I get to meet them again on Wednesday night. And uh, I usually give them a Gideon Bible, or the Bibles I have, and and how God has supplied Bibles through that way. And, and the Word of God is powerful and true. I see it almost every time I go when God's Word began to speak to a heart, a heart that is cold, a heart that doesn't think they're worth anything, and they begin to hear what God tells them. I, I use the illustration with their fingers. I tell them, look at your hands. Tell me what you see in your fingers. And they say, fingerprints. I said, yes. The reason why I know God's made you very, very special in his sight because you're the only one that has your fingerprints in the whole world. There's no one else has your fingerprints. Usually I get a marker and then I mark their fingers and they put it on white paper and they see their fingerprints. I said, see, God loves you. He's made you very special in his sight. And that brings a new understanding to people's lives and hearts that they never experience and knew before that God loves me. And it's amazing when you understand and they tell me that no one cares about them, no one loves them. I said, oh, you're wrong on that. God loves you very much. And I've just seen hearts melt down and lives change. And usually what I try to do, I ask them if they go to a local church in the valley somewhere if they do, I ask, I always ask them for their permission, contacting their church, their pastor, and letting them know that they're in the hospital. I don't say the behaviors, they're in the hospital, and that they would like to have a follow-up from their pastor. And so uh, that's really, really big to have follow-ups and uh, from their, their pastors and their people from their church and so I try to find groups that they, in their church that they can follow up on them. And it's interesting. Some will do it, and some says, no, we're not interested in doing that. And just, well, I say, well, 
I see, I can see why they're, they're a dead Christian. Because they got a dead pastor. And, uh, doesn't really care. It just baffles my mind. How a guy says he's a pastor, a man of God, is unwilling to visit the ones in the hospital. Sad, but it's true. So, God's done a lot in my life. He's used me the way I am and my personality, and, and he can use anyone who is willing to be obedient. And God takes who you are, your personalities, and he can do extraordinary things to ordinary people, just like you and me. <laughs> your um, talk about um, your work as a chaplain, it reminds me a little bit of something I'm involved in. Our church, we have a jail ministry, so um, the county jail prisoner, they receive a Bible, and there's a sticker on the Bible saying if they would like a visit, you know, they can contact us and someone will come visit them. Mm-hmm. So I'll take a name and then I'll start visiting that prisoner. And it's it's not real personable. I go and we're looking through a video monitor at each other. Mm-hmm. But we do get to talk. And um, you mentioned, you know, sharing the gospel with them. Something that I experience is like when I – is that the people I talk to, it seems like well, they, they're they familiar with the gospel. They, they know Jesus died for sins, and they consider themselves, you know, sure, I, I believe that. But it seems like it doesn't really mean much to them until they're in jail, you know. Um, and then sometimes, you know, I, f- I keep in, tab- in tabs with them after they get out of jail. And when things are going pretty well again, um, you know, it just doesn't mean much to them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's almost like, um, I don't know, it's a little frustrating for me sometimes to know just what to say um, to someone, you know, if they already f- feel like they're there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, do you encounter that sometimes when you're talking to people or do you have any thoughts about? Um, oh, yeah. The- <laughs> I'm dealing with a man right now that's alcoholic. And he was he was in there getting getting help, and uh, he poured his life his life out and cried and and says, "Oh, I want to change. I want to change." I said, "Okay, I got his number, his name. I actually sent him a text today, to see how his weekend was, and and uh, I said, "Call me if you want to have a cup of coffee, and we'll we'll talk and more about how." And I gave him some discipleship papers to help him to begin to develop a, a habit of reading God's Word. Well, he was really help, uh, wanting to help while he was in there, but now he's got out. And like you said, you know, uh, they kind of fade away. Yes, I experience this all the time. When uh, I reach out to people and they finally they says, Chaplain, you don't need to call me anymore. I'm, I'm okay now. I'm all right. It's basically like they put God on a shelf and when they when they need them, they'll they'll cry out. And uh, but you know they have my number, and so I said my phone's on twenty four seven. You can call me anytime, day, morning, night, and uh, I'm willing to help. But you got to make an effort to call. But yeah, I come across that all the time on um, people wanting help. Uh, most of them want money, and then when they find out they're not going to get any money from me, they quit 
communicating with me, like this one I'm working with now. He hasn't responded at all. And I can only do so much. And I pray for him, and uh, uh, their family is really taking the, you know, the, he goes up and buys alcohol, and of course the kids have nothing to eat. And my heart was broken, but I didn't, I didn't give any money. And I knew if I did, he'd go out and buy alcohol, and the kids would still be hungry. So I offered him to take him down to the grocery store and uh, buy groceries, but no, he didn't want that. And so <laughs> you can only do so much. But yeah, I run across that all the time. Yeah. And uh, people doing the system and they try to get, get you to do things. And, but, uh, you know, it's part of ministry. You just love people the way they are. You plant and water. You plant and water. And God gives the increase in his time. Right. You know, maybe it takes years. There was another man that I worked with. Was an alcoholic. Met him in the ER, and uh, he was one of those cases that he was serious. His wife says this was the last chance. This is after this one more time, and we're done. I'm getting divorced. So I, I said to him, "I'm going to work with you." So I did, and he was. He met me several times. He was working on a ranch up north of here, and he was the caretaker. And part of his responsibility was to entertain the clients. Well, they had a big bar there. Well, you know, he had all, had all the free alcohol he wanted. He called me one day and said, God's been convicting me. I've been trying to stay sober, but I just can't because i got all this free alcohol. He says, today I quit my job. I said, you did what? I quit my job. I said, God told me to leave, so I did. I said, do you have another job? No. He says, by no God told me to quit. He's going to provide for me. Yes, he will. So we began to pray for another job. And a couple weeks went by, and finally he called me. He says, chaplain, God is so good. I got a brand new job, and it's better than what I had. And he just said, thank you for staying with me and helping me. And do what you said. You know, brother, I'm really, um, when I talk to, especially young men, there was a couple of guys that uh, people would say something to them and promise them and never come back. This one young man, I promised a brand new Bible. And I had one at home, but I, I gave all the Bibles that night away. I says, I'll be back with a Bible. He says, okay, I'll see you. And so that following Wednesday, he was still there. And I got a hold of him. I says, I have a Bible for you. And tears began to come out of his face. This is what he said to me. You're the first man has ever kept his word with me. You're the first one to uh, do what you said. Hmm. I said, here's God's word. He says, you ever had a Bible before? He says, no. So I uh, opened up the front, began to show him how to use his Bible, how to find a book in the Bible in the New Testament. Here's the page number. And uh, he knew nothing. And so he was so enthralled with his Bible. And uh, uh, I met him a couple more times. And this is what he said to me before he left. He says, 
Chaplain, you're the first man I've ever trusted. And there's just a powerful way of God's working, but being faithful and do what you say you do. And sometimes it's, you know, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to go back down. But I told him I would, so I do. And that's really a key part of the work is being faithful and do what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, um, you've mentioned to me earlier mentoring like some of the students here. Mm-hmm. Does that have, what's that like? Does they have some kind of structure to it where you're meeting at certain times or, or how do you start that? Do you just, do they come to you and, or do you ask, you know, they need a mentor or I had two twin brothers, David and Danny Portron. They are from, um, Nicaragua. And uh, Danny came up to me one day. He called me Daddy. He said, Daddy, I want a wife. And so I said, okay, son. He called me Dad. I'll call him son. I said, you start coming every Thursday morning at, at 630 in the morning, and we'll begin to pray for a wife. Did that for two years. One day, Danny came and said, Daddy, I, I've got a girl. Oh, yeah, what's her name? Her name's Claudia. She's one of the students here. So as they went through the process of the, what the school allows and all the rules and regulations, and they are very strict here. And corresponding with his, his parents, and well, they made an announcement for engagement. And they got married, and, and his brother David came up to me after this is all over in the new, next semester. He said, Daddy, I want a wife too. I said, okay, David. You see well, what Danny did? Do the same thing. So every Thursday morning, 6 a.m., David came for two years, prayed for a wife. And a girl came by, and uh, she was one of the students here. And, and uh, I never talked to David's dad down in Nicaragua. But I, I came to him one day. I said, David, she's not the right girl. And so... He, David talked to his dad down in Nicaragua, said the same thing. So David came and says, have you been talking to my dad? I said, no. I said, God's telling you. She's not the right girl. Oh, he had to break it off, and they cried. And then uh, there was another girl came by, and I said, no, she's not the right one either. And then they, David went to Abana on that mission of, Mission outreach that happens every four years up in Banner, Illinois. And uh, he met this young girl up there in Urbana, Illinois. It's this large conference. And uh, they began to correspond through writing. And then she came down here to tex- Texas and got to meet her. And uh, just a delightful young lady. Loves the Lord. Had a, Had a had a vision for uh, missions also for the Middle East. That's where David wants to go, the Middle East. And so they began to date, and for long, David came to me one day and said, Daddy, I'm going to ask her to marry her. And so they did, and so <laughs> I got another guy now that's coming on on Thursday and doing the same thing. He says, <coughs> he says I want a wife too. Well, you saw what David, Danny and David. 
bet right now I'm betting a hundred percent. So <laughs> I said, but God's in no hurry. And, uh, and, and I tell these, these young men, I says, you know, you're here to study. And that's your main purpose right now is to study God's word, prepare yourself for a lifelong ministry. And if God has a girl for you here for a wife, in time, he'll show you. So it's been really interesting being involved in students' lives. We don't speak Spanish very good, but our, our heart language and our love to the students speaks louder than all. I just, I love to have fun with them and uh, just do funny stuff with them and just, just love them as I am, using my personality or God, what God has given me. Yeah. You know, um, one question I often ask people when I'm having a conversation like this with them is um, if they could, um, you know, go back and um, know something earlier in their life that they know now that they really needed to know then, or if they go back and change, uh, you know, could go back and say something to them, um, you know, what would it be? Um, and just listening to your life, it just sounds so used by God and so fruitful that maybe there's, there isn't anything that comes to mind, but, um, you know, is there something that, um, like you wish you would have known earlier in life, um, you know, because of what you know now with mm -hmm. more experience and maturity and so forth? I wish I would, back then I wouldn't, would have known how to trust the Lord, even in stuttering and dyslexia. And I was told by teachers, "You're dumb. You won't, man. You won't. You won't do anything. You'll be on. You'll be a pig farmer for all your life." And that really, uh, to get over that, took me years to get over that. That God had something special for me to do. As I look back, I wish I wanted to listen to people and listen to God more. But it's just a process of growth in life in Christ. And I know there's, there's people out there that are listening to this or struggling in areas of their lives where I can identify with them, especially with the ones I work with at the hospital. I was bullied in, in school because I was a goody two-shoe. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't run around. And uh, uh, I was a kind of an oddball in my class. You know what happened? Very interesting. 25 years later, my first class reunion that I went to, the only one I went to, all the popular kids were there. And then a couple of them come up to me and says, John, we want, to, we want to talk to you. I said, okay, what do you want to talk about? We want to come and apologize the way we treated you in high school. I says, okay, apology accepted and forgotten. And one of the girls says, you know what? I watched you when you was in high school and you lived what you talked. And we made fun of you. And, uh, you know, there was kids that would, they'd get me and they put my head in the toilet. Hmm. And I would never fight back. And, um, until my, my older brother found out about it and then he took care of it for me and they never bothered me again. Hmm. <laughs> but, uh, they said, you know, we want to apologize about the way we treated you in high school. She says, I've been married six times. 
I have had countless relationships. I'm the most miserable girl. I'm supposed to be the most happy and popular. On the outside, I fool people by being jolly and, and a party person. But inside, I'm hurting desperately. And she opened up to me, and she asked me this question. What do you have that I don't have? I said, oh, that's simple. It's Jesus. He makes all the difference in the world. If you'll let him put your faith and trust in him, he'll make you the woman that you so want to be. Well, she didn't make that commitment at the time, and I never, never seen her since. But uh, how God just used parts of our lives to grow us to be what we want to be today. Yeah. Well, John, um, thank you for this time. It's been just really encouraging, just talking with you, and it's, and I'm and just kind of seeing your life audibly, you know, just as you describe it is just really encouraging, um, you know, and just thinking, um, how good God is to, um, to use, to use a man in such a a great way to be a light in this world Mm -hmm. and, uh, to, you know, be a blessing to others. So you've, you've had, you're living a fruitful life and God is so good. I take no, no credit, no glory. I give it all to Daddy. You know, when I when I tell people in the hospital, I don't have a religion. I'm not religious, but I have a relationship with Christ. I call him Daddy. He's my Daddy, and Daddy wants to get to know you too. And I don't know who's listening to this. If you have a relationship with Christ, but it's not a religion. It is a personal relationship in Christ. I often use this this uh, illustration. I like to use a lot of illustrations when I talk to people. I know you can't see it, but you can listen. Hold your hands out and blow into your hands. And then I asked the, the person that did that, can you see it? Can you see it? I said, can you see what? I said, can you see the air? No. Did you feel it? Yeah. Well, you know it's there because you felt it, but you can't see it. I said, that's how we accept Christ, by faith, that we cannot see him, can't touch him, can't smell him. But to have that personal relationship with him through faith without understanding or seeing. You know, faith is a substance that we cannot see. But we see them through our hearts, not our not our eyes. I use that illustrations time and time again, and people understand it's through faith in Christ. So if you're struggling in life and you have a you're you're in a in a religion, not a relationship. It's in Christ, who died for our sins and set us free. <laughs> Pretty simple, and man's made it so complicated. But God's made it so easy. All right. All right. Well, thank you, John. Well, thank you. Okay.